Glad everyone could be here for the third part of this series we're calling Making Change. And if you're new here, the way we do uh, sermons on Sundays is we uh, will pick a topic or a section of scripture or a book of the Bible and we will kind of teach through it for a number of weeks and, and then move on to something else as, you know, the topic kind of runs its course or I run out of things to say. And right now what we're doing in this series is we're talking about how God wants us to handle our finances. And so there's been one main point every week of the series. So each week we cover one main idea. And so here are the, the four total ideas from this four-week series. Week one is, let's say these together, week one is less is more. Week two, stress is bad. Week three, giving is good. And week four, tomorrow matters. Now this is week three, so we're going to be talking about how giving is good. And let me just ask, we're all in agreement with that, right? Like, I think most people understand, regardless of really religious perspective, worldview, almost everybody will agree that giving is good. You would have to be the, like, world's most cynical person or the world's most selfish person to say that giving is not a good thing to do. Everybody agrees that giving is good. Maybe you don't think giving everywhere is good, but you can find an organization or a cause or a need that you will admit giving is good. All of us are kind of on that page. And there is one statement that I think almost everybody knows. I would say most people in our country know this statement, and it's from Jesus, it's found in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Um, it's funny, we don't get a lot of quotes about Jesus outside of the Gospels, but this is one of them. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Everybody knows that. I don't think a lot of people would even think that that's from Jesus. I think some people would think, oh, you know what? I think I heard that in a Mickey Mouse Christmas special when I was a kid. You know, they, it's used so frequently. I don't know if most people actually know that those are actually the words of Jesus. And most of us would even say, you know, as much as I do like getting, I think I don't want to be a jerk. And I would at least have to admit giving is better than receiving. And so most of us are willing to admit, excuse me, most of us are willing to admit that we know that giving is good, and we, and we would admit that we should give to a certain extent. But I think most of, most of us would also admit that there are certain barriers in our life, some self-inflicted, some not, but there are certain barriers in our life that prevent us from giving the way that either we want to, or especially giving and being as generous as we know that we should. I want to talk about two mindsets, two certain ways of looking at the world and thinking that direct how and prevent how uh, you get how you give and prevent you giving from how uh, you think you should. So here's the first one. It's a scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset feels that if you give money or something away, you won't have enough of it yourself. That there's not really enough to go around. And uh, you know, some I think people live with this mindset every day. Some of you probably feel this way now and you think, you know, right now you're thinking, man, I wish I had more. I, I worry about the future. I don't know if there's going to be enough for my future. And if you live with a scarcity mindset, one way to tell that you live with a scarcity mindset is you tend to keep more things than you need. You keep things that are broken. You keep things when you have three of them already. You know, you, you kind of keep, I won't use the word hoard, 
because they're, after that show, Hoarders, that ruined that word for everybody. Like, no, most of the, that, extre- that's the extreme. I won't use that word, but we keep more than we want. And so you can't come to, you know, find yourself selling things at a yard sale or even giving them to the Salvation Army or, heaven forbid, throwing broken stuff away. You can't get rid of something because why? You might need it later, right? Some of you, see, there was, that, some of you, I know I'm preaching to you right now because that, that came too quick, okay? Sometimes I'll ask a question in a sermon, and the answer is obviously Jesus, and everybody sits there quiet, and you can hear crickets, but man, oh yeah, you might need that later. There's, okay, I'm preaching to some people today. Okay, good, good. It's good to know. Now, and if someone gives you a hard time about, why do you hold on to all this stuff? The best comeback you can have is, well, you never know when I might need four partly functional toaster ovens. Like, the, you know, there might be a, a, a group that comes in and they want slightly warmed bagels. What else? Who, who could handle that sort of load if a crowd of 20 people showed up at my house? Right? And so we keep, you what? Yeah. Oh, uh, see, there it is. Okay, you might need a part. Man, I don't know if I'm qualified to preach this, this right now in this. Okay, so, but, but here's the thing. The scarcity mindset says I have to hold on to everything. And to be fair, I'm not, I'm not going to attack anybody because oftentimes the scarcity mindset comes from a real life experience of a season in your life when you had literally next to nothing. And it was a painful, miserable season. And you came out of that and you had some better means for a while. And so you decided, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to end up with nothing again. And so you keep maybe even more than you had. And so what keeps you in a scarcity mindset most of the time is fear, fear of not having enough, fear that if I give something away, sell something, or even throw it away, that I might end up in a place regretting letting that go. And so it's fear that keeps you in a scarcity mindset. Second mindset that keeps us from maybe giving what we uh, know we should is a self-focused mindset. The self-focused mindset um, it's not that they're against giving at all, okay? In fact, the person who is uh, living with a scarcity mindset, you're not necessarily against giving. It's just that that fear of having nothing is, is bigger than that understanding that you should give. But for the self-focused person, giving's not really even on the radar. It's just not that primary thought. It's not something people think of. It's just kind of, well, it's my money. I'm going to spend it on myself. I mean, what else would I do with my money? And the people who who have this mindset, which I think is honestly a lot of us, and we wouldn't say, well, I'm not a selfish person with my money, but most of us have this thing, and the way you can tell that you have a self-focused mindset when it comes to finances is that you give reactively, not proactively, meaning that you don't plan ahead how you're going to give to something. You don't think about giving on a regular basis to be intentional about it, but you give as somebody comes up and says, hey, can we're collecting money for this, and you're like, oh, how much do I got in my wallet? $3. Okay, here you go. And you peel out whatever's in your wallet and you give away a little bit at a time and you give on a reactionary basis as somebody presents you with a need. You don't plan how much you're going to give and then find needs to pass that out to. You only do it on a reactionary basis. And again, I think this is a very normal mindset. We think about ourselves and giving is not the primary thought we just think about how our money should be spent and there's a a thing that kind of I think exists in our country and I don't know if this is a generational thing or what it is but I kind of grew up with it and had to get it broken out of me but it's that I deserve a certain lifestyle because I'm in America I'm American 
I need a certain lifestyle. I deserve a certain house. I deserve a certain type of car. I deserve certain nice vacations when I work hard. I deserve certain clothes. I deserve this. I deserve that. There's just this idea that we deserve a certain amount of things. And I think it probably might have been a little bit my generation because we all kind of came out of college thinking we should have the exact same standard of living that mom and dad had, even though it took mom and dad 30 years to get there. We, didn't, we missed mom and dad's you know, hot dog and canned beans phase of life. And we came in with you know, matching furniture, you know, roof over the head, furnace that works on a regular basis stage of life. And so we just thought, well, this is how people live in America. I'm in America. I deserve. And so what we tend to do is we live our lives at the very edge of our means or even above our means, going into debt for every little thing so that when it comes time to give, and we didn't plan it ahead of time and we're reactionary with it, when it comes time to give, there's nothing left to give. Or at the very least, it's very little. And you'll come across needs that break your heart. And you think, man, that's worthy of my money. And you can only give the few bucks that are in your wallet or nothing at all. And you just think, I hope somebody can give to that. And the self-focused mindset keeps us from giving the way that we need to. And so there's all kinds of mindsets. These are just two. There's all kinds of barriers to giving the way that we should give. And we all admit that probably we should give more to a certain extent. Now, today what I want to do is I want to take you to a parable that Jesus told. Now, a parable is simply a made-up story to prove a point. So you got to be careful when you read too much into a parable, because basically Jesus is telling you exactly what you need to know to prove a point. And so if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if you brought a Bible, awesome, you can make some notes in there. Um, if you didn't, we got a Black Pew Bible near you, or the verses will be on our screen. I believe we'll be in page 871, 871 in the Black Pew Bibles. So Jesus is telling this parable, and at the end of the parable, he's going to tell us something that gives us a different mindset. That's not scarcity, that's not fearful, that's not self-focused, that's not oblivious to the fact that maybe I should be intentional with how I give or think ahead about the fact that maybe my money could be used for something better than just myself. So Jesus starts off. Now this part isn't the parable, he's just preaching to a normal crowd and somebody kind of interrupts. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to invite and divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, so he's pointing at this guy, I'm not, I'm not the rule man in this situation. And he lifts his head up and he looks to the whole crowd and he says, to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, we read this verse in the first week of this series. And basically, this guy that's talking to him, his older brother, most likely, is in charge of dividing up, you know, the, the, the estate after mom and dad passed away. And he's not giving little brother his share of the inheritance. And he's mad about it. And he's probably right. And he goes to Jesus and says, come on, tell my brother to give me what's mine. I have a lot of fights in my house that sound just like that. Does it not change maybe when you get older? I don't know. And so he says, give me what's mine. And Jesus basically is saying to him, I'm God and I got more important things to do than handle your little brother squabble. And then he uses that complaint, though, to teach a very important lesson. That our lives are not measured by our money and stuff. The human life is not measured by what kind of house you have, what kind of car you drive, how big of a retirement account you have set up, how many uh, nice things and toys your kids have to open under the tree on Christmas. That is not the measure of a human life. And then he 
dives into this parable to help us understand a different mindset than something that is self-focused. And in this parable, it is somebody who has a self-focused mindset. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So this guy's already rich, and he's a farmer, and things go really well. So the rich guy gets richer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Now this is like somebody whining that their wallet's not big enough to hold all their money. Oh, boo-hoo. I'm sorry things have been so good for you. Like if somebody says, you will not believe the day I had. I had so many $100 bills in my wallet that when I sat down, my pants ripped. It's like... Well, we can't be friends anymore because I hate you right now. Like, that's the kind of thing that I would think if somebody wants. You can't complain about that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what this guy's doing. Oh, no, I got more crops and more stuff that I can put in my barns. What am I going to do? I don't feel bad for this guy. So Jesus does a good job of giving you an idea right out of the gate of this parable who the bad guy is in this, in this parable. And there's only one guy in the parable. And he lets you know he's the bad guy, okay? I love how Jesus tells stories. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And so he decides he needs some bigger barns, you know, bigger wallet for all that, those $100 bills. And here's the idea. The idea is not that he decided to store his money. There's plenty of verses in the Old Testament that teach you the wisdom of saving. It's not... Um, the fact that he's wealthy, okay, there's, there's plenty of wealthy people in the Bible who aren't immediately said, you know, being rich is evil. That's not even the point of the story. The idea here is how he decided to spend his money. Who is the only person he thought of when it came to spending his money? Himself. Nobody else. Again, no one's on the radar but him. He looks at himself in the mirror and says, oh, I don't have to worry anymore. I can just enjoy life. I got enough stock piled up. The rest of my life is going to be easy, smooth sailing. And so he's not thinking of a lot of things, though. When you think of yourself, you're missing the rest of the world. When you're navel-gazing, you're missing everything else that's going on around you. And just two things that he misses when he thinks about how to handle his finances is he's not thinking of God. He doesn't say, man, I have so much right now. Like, maybe God has something for this. Maybe this is for a reason. Maybe God has a plan for how I should spend my income. I should wonder and pray and spend some time asking God, what do you want me to do with this? I could probably help a lot of people, which brings us to the second thing he didn't think of. Anyone else. He didn't think, man, I have so much. Imagine the difference I can make now with my income. Imagine the people I could feed with all this grain in my barns. There's some starving people out there, and I could help them. He doesn't think about God or others. He's thinking about himself. And so, again, as Jesus tells this parable, this guy's a bad guy. He's, he's a selfish guy, and you know that from the outset. And anytime uh, Jesus does this, and, and I read through a parable that Jesus has done this in, because he does it a lot, by the way. He always tells stories in a way that you know who's right and who's wrong. He's very good at that. When I read those parables where, where it's obvious that somebody's wrong, I am very quick to say, I'm not that, I'm not that guy. He's a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. And I separate myself. I distance myself from the person that Jesus is explaining in Scripture from who I am. But if I'm honest, and hopefully if you can be honest with yourself, more of us are this guy than we would like to admit. Um, I mean, I think it's very 21st century American to think, I've got money. How am I going to plan it? Save for my retirement. Pay all my bills. 
do all the things that, that make me anxious, I want to get rid of those with my money. We use money as kind of a way to, to almost not trust God anymore because I've got everything set up and I want to build everything in my life and situate everything in my life in such a way that I don't have to panic about money anymore. Especially if you've had a season where you were panicking about money. You want to set it up. That's just natural, normal. I do that. It's really easy for me personally to neglect God and to neglect others when it comes to how I spend my money. I am more like this guy than I care to admit. Um, I am... In my household, I am the nerd. And you might say, no, I can't. Anthony, I can't even fathom. You're so cool normally. That did not make me feel any better about myself. I just want you to know that. That reaction did, ouch, hurt my heart a little. But I'm the guy who likes numbers. I like, I'm the weirdo that likes spreadsheets. When we, I like budgeting. I actually enjoy writing up a budget. It makes me comfortable and it gets rid of my anxiety when I spend all the money before the month starts so I know, you know, certain money amount goes here, all the bills are going to be paid. If we're saving for something, I like knowing that I put the right amount saved that month so that when the day comes to buy it, we've already got the money there. I love all that stuff. And so when we get our paychecks in, I sit there and I budget and I put everything in the right accounts and, and that makes me feel good when I have taken care of me with my money. And I can spend hours going through all that stuff, thinking about myself, my family, and never once think about what does God want me to do or how can I help other people. If there's an extra hundred bucks left over after budgeting all the necessities, it's like, I'm going to be able to go out to eat a lot more this month. That's just what I think of. That's, that's my net normal. And I am more concerned with me, and I have to admit that I am more like this guy. It is very easy for me to forget about God and to forget about anybody who's hurting when it comes to setting up my finances. And that's a bad place to be. That selfish mindset is not where you want to be, especially if you are a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can kind of sit back and just listen for the rest of this message. But if you are a Christian, pay very, very close attention to the words that Jesus says next as he finishes out this parable. So this guy stocked up all his stuff. He's relaxed. He's feeling good. He feels like he's got money saved for the rest of his life to take it easy. But in verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, required of you. Hang on to that word. Your soul is required of you. And the thing you have prepared, who will they be? Whose will they be? Meaning, at the end of your life, all that stuff you've saved up, that house you've put all that money in, into and, in, and energy into, building it up the way you want it and all the cars you've bought, if you died today, who gets that stuff? Maybe your kids? Maybe not. Maybe a stranger, maybe it gets auctioned off to a bunch of people you don't even know. But you would be shocked at how much of your stuff ends up in the garbage at the end of your life. The stuff you loved. And you think, no, my kids love it too. I've done enough funerals to know your kids do not love your garage that you don't have enough floor room to walk in. And they are not going to transfer all those belongings to their house. Most of it is going to be sold or going to be heaped into a dumpster. I hope I didn't break anybody's heart. And don't go home and chew out your kids. Don't you better throw away my stuff when I'm gone. I didn't mean to start anything with families, okay? I'm just saying. That's what his point is. You've worked so hard on all this stuff, and now your life is over. Where's it going to go now? Not anywhere you wanted it to. And he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this guy does all this hard work. 
gets really lucky with his crops, the rich becomes richer, and he dies. And the, the thing that changes your mindset is when Jesus says, this night your soul is required of you. That word required means you returning something that was loaned to you. You giving back something that was loaned to you, meaning if I let you borrow my hedge trimmers and I said, you can keep them until next week, but yet I come to you tomorrow and say, hey, something happened, I need my hedge trimmers back. That's mine, I loaned them to you, it's not yours, it's mine. So what he's saying here, and this is huge, so don't miss this. The main thing that makes us start to neglect God and neglect others with our finances is the wrong thought that I have the right to do whatever I want with my money, with my stuff, or even with my life. We have this idea that my life is my life, and I do what I want to with it. But this verse does not say that your life is your life. It says that your life is a loan. Your life is not your life. It is a gift. It is something that has been placed into your hands for a temporary amount of time. And you are to use it not as you wish because it's not yours. You use your life as God wishes you to use it. And so what that really means is, is that you and I, we are managers, not owners. We think, my life, I live it the way I want. My stuff, I use it the way I want. No, 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 no. It is not your stuff. You don't get to decide what you do with your possessions and your time and your purpose. In fact, a manager is somebody who understands, I don't own this. I am simply using it for the person that owns it. I am doing what the owner wants me to do with it. Best place to think of this is kind of a, a work. If you've ever been a manager or if you've ever, you know, even fast food been a manager and the owner comes in, I mean, that fast food restaurant is not yours. You don't just think, you know what, I'm the manager. I can have all the fries I want, which that's not good anyway. And I love me some fries, right? That's just not good. But if the manager's like, did you just fry up? Have you been frying like large fries, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the past 30 days and not paying for them? Well, yeah, I'm the manager. That doesn't mean that you bought the fries. Those are my fries. I expect you to pay me back for all of those things that you used that were mine. Managers cannot do whatever they want. They do the will of the owner. We're managers, not owners. That means your time, every second of breath that you have been breathing on this earth, that is a gift to you by God. Every job you've ever had was carried out with a skill that God placed into your body or your mind. Every time you have gotten a paycheck that was a gift from your heavenly father every time you've been given a gift by anybody those all, all the things that come into your life those are really given to you by God loaned to you so that you can live your life for his purposes and his will and if you neglect God and you neglect other people you are missing the fact that you are not top dog and I hope that doesn't disappoint you actually I kind of hope it does because you are not important enough to waste your short life on. I am not important enough to waste the little amount of time God has given me. You know what? Here's the thing I, I've noticed about people that spend their entire life on themselves. Either they're forgotten because they never helped anybody, changed anybody, or did anything of note, or they are remembered as a villain of history. Hitler did everything to make himself basically king of the world. Nobody loves Hitler. There's a lot of things about, you know, there in, the, in the New York phone book, I remember looking this up one time. Um, before World War II, there was a lot of Hitlers in the New York phone book. After World War II, they suddenly all disappeared. 
And I don't think people went out killing Hitlers. I think it was simply they changed their name because that name was so vilified that they didn't even want to be associated with it. When's the last time you saw somebody with a toothbrush mustache that wasn't Charlie Chaplin? You see, that's what kind of things happen when people spend their lives on themselves. It's either despicable or it's forgettable. God didn't put you here to be either of those things. He puts you here to make a difference with your life, to be a manager of the gifts he has placed within your reach, not an abuser of the things that he has put within your reach. You are not an owner. You are a manager. Now, the great irony of that parable we looked at is the guy worked his whole life to store up stuff for himself, and it says, and at the end, where's it going to go? To someone else or the garbage? And it says, you, were, you didn't live a life to make yourself rich in the eyes of God, to, to build up anything that's meaningful in eternity. Worked his whole life, and he ended up with nothing of value to show for it. I don't want you to waste your life that way, and I certainly don't want to waste mine. God meant you to be somebody who engages in this world, and that part of that engagement is understanding generosity. It's living your life with an open-handed mentality. Some things come in, some things go. God can put things in your hand, and God can use you to give them out to somebody else. Not a closed-handed mentality where everything I get is mine, and I'm not letting go no matter what happens. God meant you to be open-handed. So a couple action steps that I can give you, just things you can do as you think about this and as you leave. Number one, Trust God now and give now. Now, you can go through something like this and, and say, okay, well, one day when I get out of debt or one day when I have more money or one day if I get a better job, I'll, I'll, then I can maybe start giving. One, one day when I have enough to give, then I can maybe plan to give and actually give in a way that's different. If you, if somebody, I think this falls in the category of like having kids. I can't tell how many people told me, if you wait till you have enough money to have kids, you will never have kids. Okay? Some of you are like, yeah, I think I told you that. Yeah, well... Now I got three, and I got no money, so I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for the advice, guys. Um, they're great. I love them um, most of the time. And, but the thing is, you think you're not going to have enough if that scarcity mindset starts to speak up and say, don't give it away. You won't have enough. We don't have enough to give. No, we've got to trust God. He calls us to do this. It's not an option. He doesn't say, maybe you should give. There are so many numerous commands and descriptions of believers in the Bible, and they are supposed to be over-the-top, generous people. Trust your Heavenly Father. And as you do that, you will be amazed not only at how He takes care of you, even though you give more away. What else you will be surprised about and amazed with is the fact that God will use you. I, you know, I don't say this. It's funny. You'd think sometimes giving would make you a little bit more proud as you think, I made a difference today. But I find that giving makes you more humble. Because there have been moments in my life where I have seen a need and broke my heart and I kind of went to a person and said, here, we want to take care of this. And when you see the gratitude on their face and the, how, how they feel like, I thought I was on the edge of a cliff and you're God coming into my life. You are the hands and feet of Jesus coming into my life and rescuing me. And I stand back and I'm so humbled to think, whoa, God just used me. Because I'm an idiot. How could God use this guy who's done wrong things, lived his life in a foolish way in so many areas? I don't deserve to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and so when I get to that opportunity, I find it to be such a humbling, awe-inspiring thing that God would use little old me to make a difference. It will blow your mind if you start to trust your Heavenly Father and give. Second thing I would encourage you to do, plan your generosity. Don't be a reactionary giver. I don't think you can ever be as generous as you want to be, as you hope to be, if you don't plan 
to be somebody who is generous. If you're always just, oh, here's something and, and trying to throw money at it, you're never going to have enough bills in your wallet. Um, most people aren't going to be carrying a credit card uh, scanner, you know, hey, I got into a mess, we wrecked our car, and we can't afford our mortgage this week. Oh, well, I get, do you take Visa? You know, most people aren't going to be that way. You're going to, you got to plan to be generous. I know people that they just keep a, a, uh, an envelope in their, in their purse or in their car, in the dr- in and, you know, you might say, well, someone could break in and steal it. Well, then there you go. You had money to give to somebody, and you blessed somebody. Maybe they'll take that money and drive to church with it. I don't know what they'll do, but you kind of trust that stuff to God. But I'd rather be, uh, I don't want to say foolish, but I'd rather be kind of uncareful in that way than be so careful that I'm not generous at all. And so I don't know. I know people that they have a budget line in their category for money I'm going to give away to people that I see who need it. They can pay for food for a a college student. They can buy somebody new tires for their car if they've got that, but they just give that money away. That's all that is for. I think we need to be intentional with how we give. I heard a cool story the other day of a guy who he lost his job. That's not the cool part. And so he goes to his pastor and he says, you know, I don't I don't have a job right now, and so I can't, I don't have any money to give to the church. I'd love to tithe, but I got nothing to tithe with. He said, can I volunteer 10% of my week serving at the church? Well, yeah. And so that guy went to the pastor, proactively planned to spend 17 hours every week serving his church, and that was his offering till the time being until he got a job. And I think, what a cool way to have this generous, open-handed mindset of a, and, and desiring to bless your Heavenly Father. So those are just two things you can start thinking about. Trust God, give now, plan your generosity, be intentional. Don't let it sneak up on you and surprise you. God has called us to be generous people. Why not expect like we're going to be generous? So just very short to wrap up, everybody in this room, we all know giving is good. We already agreed on that, right? Giving is good. So why not start living our lives in a way that actually shows that we believe that giving is good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this challenging parable. And I pray that you would help us to be people who live a purposeful life. This message is not one of guilt, but one of freedom. Because the life of selfishness, of self-focus, the life that is oblivious of you and the, the needs around us, that's such a small place. We've contained ourselves in a tiny little prison that only exists around us. You want to unlock those doors so that we can experience a great world of your purpose and a world of blessing those who need your presence. And so I pray that we would not view this as a message of guilt, but as a message of freedom. You've, you've put us here to, to make a difference in the world. You've given us a purpose and a mission to take the love and grace and mercy of Jesus to every corner of our lives and every corner of the world. I pray that we would see our finances as another opportunity to do that. And we can show someone your love by surprising them in a moment when, you know, they're so in need, they feel like you've forgotten them. And we can walk into their life because you've put a burden on our heart. And we can show them that the God of the universe hasn't forgotten them and that you love them deeply. And you want to, not just their finance, you you don't just want to meet that immediate need, but you want to meet their eternal needs through Christ. So let us have a bigger perspective when it comes to finances. Let us see the power in our money, the power in our dollars and cents that you have put in our lives. And whether we have a lot to give or a little, we know that you have purpose for what we have. And so thank you for this, and and may we have an outward-focused perspective that understands that we don't own anything 
Everything is on loan, and we're simply here to manage wisely, steward wisely what you've placed into our hands. May we keep our hands open as you intended. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.